So, the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. And uh, you'll notice on your outline, it says lesson number one. And this is actually lesson number two, but the notes cover uh, both lesson one and two. And so, um, let's just turn there to Matthew chapter five. And and so, for the next uh, several months at least, we will just go through the sermon on the Mount in our Sunday night time, and uh, we'll uh, hope to uh, gain uh, things from this. This was Jesus preaching, the greatest sermon preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, and of course, he is giving to us what we need to know to live for him in his kingdom. And... um, So, um, just curious what happened there. Maybe I ought to thank you. Um, So, let's just start right here. uh, Verse uh, 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil falsely, For my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So as we look at this, this is a thing that has been called the the Beatitudes or the uh, pronouncements of extreme blessing. And it's kind of strange because the blessing comes on the poor in spirit. And last week we spent time explaining what that was uh, about the uh, a state of spiritual poverty, not only lacking that which we need, but not having the ability to get it. Uh, it poor is something that we really do not understand here in the United States. Because no matter how out of money you are, there's always somebody willing to loan you more. Uh, credit card or whatever. And, the, uh, and when all that work fails, then all you have to do is just show up uh, at the hospital and say, I have no income, and they will treat you. And, and that's the way things are. But in, <coughs> excuse me, in most of the world, it's not that way. And when Jesus was speaking here and talking about being poor in spirit, 
Poor people in Jesus' day starved to death because they couldn't, they didn't have food, they couldn't get it. And poor spiritually, we're all there. The problem is we don't know it. We do not possess what we need to gain salvation. Amen? Hello? We have to come to Jesus Christ. He must give it to us once we understand what being poor in spirit is and our state of spiritual poverty. Then we can come to Jesus and He will save us. Not because He's giving a handout, but because He paid for it. Amen? That's what the work of the cross was all about. And then the next part, the second one, the second state of blessings is, Blessed are they that mourn. Now, the word mourning simply means to feel sorrow, grief, or regret, often with the added notion of expressing one's grief, to sorrow, grieve, or lament. Um, could, could I challenge you, if this is something you have to put on, it's not mourning. Uh, how many of you remember the story where Jairus met Jesus as he got off the boat at the, at the Sea of Galilee outside the city of Capernaum? His daughter was dying and he begged Jesus to come. And before Jesus could get there, his daughter died. And they were already making the lamentation and the mourning. And, and uh, Jesus came in and he began to literally pushed these people out of the room and they were like, what are you doing? He said, the damsel is not dead, but she sleeps. And, and as soon as he said that, how many of you remember the Bible verse? They laughed him to scorn. You see, they were mourning and trying. And of course, the Jewish tradition of a funeral was the more noise you make, the better it is. Uh, and, and so they, they had people who were professional mourners. I mean, they could put it on. And, and tears dripping on the floor and slinging snot. Well, oh, excuse me, that's a little gross. But I mean, uh, they were just doing the whole thing. And as soon as Jesus contradicted them, they went immediately to laughing. Not, not a funny laugh, it wasn't a joke. But a mean, cruel who do you think you are giving this man false hopes? His daughter is dead. It's over. You know, you're the one that needs to get out of here, not us. Can't you tell we're trying to comfort this person? And what did Jesus do? Once he got them all locked out, he turned to the little girl lying there dead on the bed and he said, Little maid, I say unto thee, arise. And life came back into that little body. You see, that's comfort now, isn't it? See, we, we spend most of our life trying to feel good about things we ought to be sad about and trying to feel sad about things we ought to feel good about. Isn't that true? I mean, don't we just live backwards? How many of you remember being a teenager? Oh, I can't wait till I'm 21. 
uh, to him an adult. And then you got 21 and started having to pay your own bills. I wish I was a teenager again. And uh, the simple truth of the matter is, if we understand our spiritual poverty, what should that do to us? should make us sad, shouldn't it? It should make us understand how offensive our sin is toward God. Can we say amen to that? It should help us to grasp what Jesus had to do so that we could be forgiven for our sins. If we understand there's nothing I can do and yet... Jesus had to go to the cross. Jesus had to suffer in my place because I couldn't do it. That ought to bring sorrow to our heart that we caused all of that suffering for the Savior. Amen? Now, I want you to turn with me to another passage here. And I want us to look at something here in the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is one of those books when you get through your Bible reading schedule and you come up to Ezekiel, it's like, oh, no. Uh, But there is a lot in this book, a lot of strange things, but things that we need to get. And what we have here in in chapter 9 is God pronouncing his judgment upon Israel. And uh, let's just look. At verse 4, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of all the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Now, Ezekiel was having a vision here, and of course, we understand the Bible wasn't complete, and so God was giving him revelation. And what he was doing here is he saw the Lord giving an angel a command. He said, I want you to go through the city of Jerusalem, and I want you to put a mark. Uh, He had an inkhorn on his side and a pen, and he just would go around in, in modern day language. We'd talk about a sharpie and he'd put a mark on the forehead. Now, do not get this mixed up with the mark on the forehead or the back of the right hand in the book of Revelation. Totally different thing. That's the mark of the beast and everyone who takes that uh, is, uh, is condemned forever. That's something that hasn't happened yet. But here's what God was doing. He was marking out those who sighed and cried for the abominations that were done in the city of Jerusalem. Does that sound like mourning? It does to me. He said, I want you to go around and I want you to find out those that were upset by the sins of the society in which they lived. You ever wonder why a loving God sometimes lets and allows people to do wicked things? It's not because God loves sin. But he wants to give you and I an opportunity to feel about sin the same way God does. 
Because look what he says here. Verse 5, And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. Now, this was a vision. It wouldn't be too long that the armies of Nebuchadnezzar would actually break through the city walls of Jerusalem and accomplish this very feat in, real, in reality. If you remember from our Sunday school time, going through the book of Daniel, the um, uh, children Daniel and Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they were taken out in the first captivity. This would have been about 20, 25 years later, the last destruction of Jerusalem. This would be when Nebuchadnezzar's army would level the temple uh, that Solomon had built, that the city would be burned with fire and everything in the city would be destroyed. Why? Because King Zedekiah had rebelled against the Lord. But here's what God was telling Ezekiel to take a message to the children of Israel. You want protection in God's judgment. You sigh and cry for the wickedness of your people, of your society to a holy God. God wants us, number one, to mourn over our own sin and our own abominations that we have committed toward God. Every one of us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But praise God, you don't have to stay there because Jesus paid the price. Amen? We still should allow this story here to affect us. And we should take time. That's why the fourth Sunday of every month, what, who do we pray for here at this church? We pray for our leaders. I'll tell you what, our president needs prayer more than any man alive today. He needs to be prayed for. Uh, one of the reasons is he really does not believe in the God of this book called the Bible. Uh, we get lip service. He talks about it. But a real living faith in the real living Lord, there's no evidence of that. We need to pray for him. Amen? We need to pray for our mayor who hates this book called the Bible and hates the God of the Bible and the God of righteousness. The Bible says here, listen, you cannot change other people's lives. You cannot go out and make other people live righteously. The only way any person chooses to live righteously is they must come to Jesus Christ and be saved. And then learn to depend upon His power and His ability to walk the narrow way and live for God. Isn't that right? 
The Bible says, blessed are they that mourn. And we have an example of the blessings for those that mourned. God protected in the time of slaughter those in the city of Jerusalem that were allowing their righteous relationship with God not to go around trying to correct everybody and set everybody right, but they were sighing and weeping to God for the sins of their city. Now, what's the promise? The promise is, blessed are they that mourn for what? For they shall be comforted. How many of you remember the comfort you got the day that you got saved? When you finally realized that the Lord Jesus Christ took away your sins and paid for every one of them. I love the Bible. You see, religion says you do the best you can and God will just kind of sweep the rest under the carpet. Well, you can't do that here at this church because the carpet's nailed down. Amen? Uh, But... You can't do that in real life either. All you do is ruin the carpet and the floor. But here's what Jesus does. He paid for every sin on the cross. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? To cleanse us from all un. Righteousness. You just read down a few verses and get into chapter 2 and verse 2. It says, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God is the one that forgives sins. And when we pray for our nation and for our city, and when we allow that mourning process, we're doing several things. Number one is we're not allowing sin to desensitize us. How many of you have have ever worked in a place where there was just constant profanity all the time? I mean, just cursing and and cursing and cursing and cursing. Uh, It's a terrible thing to have to put up with. Because what happens is you get used to it. And it doesn't bother you anymore. That's one of the things about the TV set sometimes. Is you'll let one program go and then the next one will be a little worse and the next one will be a little worse. And Do you know there was a time when they could not put a curse word on the movie screen in this country? That wasn't that long ago that you could not show human anatomy on the screen. In fact, in television, when it first came out, you couldn't even use the word pregnant on television because it was offensive to people and they were very careful about those things. Now, your television is a sewer pipe. You can get anything on TV. Stuff that they couldn't even imagine is now promoted as 
proper, normal, and the best behavior. And we as Christians sometimes watch that stuff. I hope not. I pray not. The Bible said, blessed are they that mourn. Can we understand? We cannot change the world in which we... We can't change ourselves. We have to come to Jesus and get saved. We're poor in spirit. Amen? But when we understand that poverty of spirit, we can come to Jesus. And what does He do? The Bible says He'll give them the kingdom. He saves me. He welcomes me into His kingdom. And He promises that we will become priests and kings unto our God. And when we allow that poverty in spirit to bring us to a point where we don't have to manufacture the tears, we don't have to tell terrible stories. How many of you know what happened in Astoria yesterday? It Dutch kills playgrounds. Anybody know that story? You're listening to the news? They found a newborn baby in a trash can. In Astoria. And the, the news report went that the baby died on the way to the hospital. Uh, or was already dead, we don't know. But that happened here in our neighborhood. I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. That someone would do that. But they're taught that life is not important anymore. We're taught that we're all animals. And we wonder why these things happen. You want me to tell you one thing that will change the attitude of our society is when God's people will allow the Spirit of God to break their heart over other people's sins. And we will allow that mourning and we will take that to God. Because He is the God of all comfort. Amen? It's the only place you can find peace and comfort in this world is at the feet of Jesus. And as we get accustomed to sin and make uh, allowances for all of these things, we condone the sin of the world. That's not our job. We are not to be running around pointing our fingers in everybody's face and telling them every wrong thing they did. Do you know, as a Christian, all you need to do is show up most of the time and people understand. I've often said, if I really want to get uh, the homosexual crowd really upset, all I need to do is get my family and walk around the block. And it just makes people upset. Who are you going to do with all those kids? Hey, we're making room for the next generation. Amen? And we're just going to keep serving the Lord. We, we need our young people to love God. But if we allow ourselves to 
just let the world move on. If we miss this, you see, these, these beatitudes, these levels of blessing, these state of extreme blessedness, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How much more blessed can you be than to know you're going to heaven? Amen? How much more blessed can you be than to know that Jesus is using me in his service and using our church if we will allow ourselves to mourn for our sin, for the sins of our nation, our sins of our city, and we will take that to God. What did mourning do in your salvation? The Bible says, Godly sorrow worketh what? Who knows the word? Say it nice and loud. There we go. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world worketh death. There's a difference here. We want that godly sorrow. And we bring that to God. That's how you got saved. By the way, that's how you live for him. Amen? Let's see here. I think we got enough time for one more. Let's look at uh, the next uh, one here in Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus is giving us the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us the, the conditions for blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, most people read that, blessed are the weak, for they shall inherit the earth. And and I want to challenge you, that is not what meekness is. Uh, Let's... Uh, Look first, the definition of the word here. It says, uh, as connoting a Christian virtue, uh, it gives the Latin word there uh, and the Greek word. And then it says, free from haughtiness and self-will, piously humble and submissive, patient and unresentful under injury, and reproach. Now that's the textbook. That's the dictionary definition. The one part I like to, to emphasize here is free from haughtiness, self-promotion, and self-will. Now, if I am free from self-will, what does that mean? Well, in the world's definition, it means somebody else is running you. Somebody else is pulling your strings. Somebody else is is dictating to you. Now, wait a minute. If I'm a Christian serving the Lord Jesus Christ, shouldn't he be the one that determines what I do and how I respond to people? Isn't that what Paul said? For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The biblical example, Moses. Let's go to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Exodus, Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Who knows what was happening in Numbers chapter 12? Moses was having problems. It actually started way back in chapter 10 and uh, kept going on here. In verse 11, the people complain. uh, Chapter 11, and we get down to chapter 12 here. And now we have Miriam and Aaron speaking against Moses. Verse 3, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now this is the biblical description of Moses. That he was the meekest man upon the face of the earth. Now let's talk about Moses for a few seconds. Moses was the one that God sent into Egypt saying, Let my people go. Isn't that true? Wasn't Moses the one that stretched his rod out over the Red Sea and the waters divided and the children of Israel came through and he pulled the rod back down and the waters came in and destroyed Pharaoh and his army? You realize there was nothing left in the land of Egypt when God was done with Egypt. All their crops were gone, the trees were destroyed, the cattle were gone, the firstborn in every family had died, their genealogy was gone, the river had been polluted and, uh, and turned to blood, the, the, uh, the chief god of the Egyptians was the sun god, and God put out the sun for three days and three nights. There was nothing left, and the entire army, the chief of the army, all of his war chariots and Pharaoh himself rode into the valley of water there in the, in the, uh, 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 the bed of the Red Sea, and the waters came in and destroyed them all. There was nothing left in the land of Egypt. And Moses was the man humanly responsible for doing those things. And God said, testimony of Moses writing here under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit that he was the meekest man that lived on the face of the earth. Meek is not weak, my friend. Meek is simply living under the authority of God and not my own. Do you think if I truly understood my spiritual poverty and the fact that I cannot save myself and allowed myself... uh, You might want to check in the nursery there. Just getting a little uh, crazy. That's all that is. Somebody's jumping off the whatever it is. But... If I can't save myself, 
And when I look on my greatest accomplishments and those of mankind, and it only causes me to mourn in the face of an almighty God, why would I insist on still doing things my way? Do you see how these things build on each other? Do you see the relationship here? There is nothing more blessed. There is nothing more wonderful in your life than to know that you are operating under God's direction and at His whim and call. And I use that word whim on... God does not have whims. We do. But I want you to understand that we should be under God's direction. It says, blessed are the meek. Why? Because they are going to inherit the earth. What does that mean? Well, you read Revelation uh, chapter 1 and it says, Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God and we shall reign on the earth. I'll tell you what, I cannot wait to see Jesus sitting upon the throne of David in the city of David, ruling this world for a thousand years. And the neatest thing is, I'm going to be there for the whole thousand years. Amen? And I, I'm going to try. Now, I've tried in, on my physical life at different times to go without sleep. It doesn't work. But I'll tell you what, when I get that spiritual body, I'm not going to have to rest anymore because I am going to be powered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Total meekness. I'm not going to be doing what I want to do. How many of you have ever had somebody try to help you? Or actually, here's what it was. They were trying to use their need to help themselves through you. How many of you have had that happen? I mean, that's not a very pleasant thing now, is it? But that's mankind. See, someone who is working their way to heaven, that's the only thing they can do. But if I've had Jesus fix my spiritual poverty through his finished work on the cross... If I've allowed that mourning and that result, offense, it's sin in my life and in, in the lives of my fellow man to bring me to God in a state of mourning. And he comforts me. Why? Because he paid the price for all sins. Amen? Would I not, would it not follow that I should surrender my will and my life direction? to the one who saved me and comforts me each and every day. Can we say amen to that? And you see, that allows me. See, we like to get down there to blessed are the peacemakers and, and we, we always want to be doing good and I want to challenge you, you can't be a peacemaker, not a Bible one. You can't explain, enjoy the blessedness that's here 
until you start at the beginning and work your way through each and every step. You cannot skip it. Because if you skip a step, if you skip part of this, if you don't have the morning, you're not going to be humble enough to let God do all the leading in your life. They build upon each other. And the difference between the fake Christianity of our day and the true blessedness that Jesus wants each believer to understand and live is starting at that beginning and working our way up through these blessings, or the word is beatitudes, uh, that describe them, a state of extreme blessing. But it starts being poor in spirit. Amen? Mourning. Then meekness. You know... By the time I understand, I can't save myself, I can't get what I need to save myself, there's nothing I can do except throw myself upon the mercy of Jesus who has paid it all. There's not much of me left. When I mourn for my own sins and the sins of mankind, there's a whole lot less. But by the time I get to meekness, There is absolutely nothing in my life that I have not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we thank you for each one that is here. And we ask that your word would do its work in our hearts and in our lives. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. If you need to slip out and spend a few moments at the altar... You may do that. In just a few moments, we'll get into our prayer time.